Good morning. My name is Kelty. It's so interesting to me. Um, the May long weekend is not traditionally one of those days where attendance is huge um, at a come to the church type scenario. But here we are where you can watch it this morning from wherever you are, if you're at home, if you're at a cottage. Um, as Jeff said, if you're at a campsite, you might even be able to, to log in. You can watch it later today because it's taped and it's available on our website to watch it. It's really fascinating, sort of the inventiveness and the ingenuity that has come out of what is seemingly, and is in fact, a terrible thing. The pandemic, not great, let's be clear. But the reality is that people have really responded quickly, dug deep, figured out ways to bring things back into people's homes in a way that we've never seen before. And the team here at French Church has done that with bringing the music, bringing the message, challenging us every week to dig deeper, to find our spirituality so that we can bring that out into the world and make the world a better place. One of the pieces of the in-church experience that we're still trying to figure out is charitable giving. So one of the things that happens on a Sunday is in this church is we have what we call a black box. And it's kind of like old school, pass the plate. We leave it at the back of the church. And for those members of our church who come periodically, who aren't part of our um, pre-authorized giving, where they're giving on a regular basis, but do want to still give back and support the church, they're able to do that through the black box. Unfortunately, the at-home experience, the black box is a little trickier. So over the last couple of weeks, we've chatted with you a bit about ways that we're looking to help replace that part of our charitable giving, which is an important part of what we do around here to help support our organization and the good that we can bring back to our community. You know, Trevor talked to you a bit a couple of weeks ago about how he's hardly filled his car up with gas. Um, and so looking to use that money instead and bring that into the back box. A couple of weeks ago, Vince talked about his gym um, and that there's a $55 a month membership to go to the gym and looking to say, well, you know, the spiritual gym, for him, that's a good value that he can bring back. I also know right now that there's capacity issues. You know, you whether you it's impacting you or whether it's your friends and your family, people are losing jobs, getting salary cuts. In moments like this, I know for me, I just hold on a little bit tighter. And so making that extra step is hard for us. So we're looking for you today. We're looking, we're curious. We'd love some feedback because the generosity of this church knows no bounds. And I know that together we can come up with some inventive ways of how we can look to evolve our charitable giving in a way and to manage that black box experience in something that allows us to maintain the income that we're used to having that allows us to do things like bring this service back to your home. If you've got ideas, if you've got feedback, please send those in. Um, I'm not going to give you my email address, but I'm going to give you Jeff's. So you can get a hold of Jeff at frenchchurch.ca, and you can send those email ideas in so that the charitable giving team can take a look at those and try to figure out ways that we can be inventive and, and really come together in this time to help replace that. Have a wonderful Sunday, and Vince is up next for you. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Friends Church. Um, I was listening to a podcast, uh, The Happiness Lab. Anyone listen to The Happiness Lab? If you don't, I highly recommend it. Um, the episode I was listening to, I'm not sure how long ago it was, but what they talked about was this idea that when you, and actually they did a test, they gave a bunch of random people 20 bucks and said, go splurge, buy yourself something nice. And some people did. They go buy a nice coffee, go get a massage, something like that. 
And then they measured their happiness after. And then they had another group of people that they gave 20 bucks and they said, okay, you can't spend this on yourself. You need to spend it on somebody else. They measured the happiness after that. And what they found was that people who spend money on others have a higher level of happiness right after the event, but even more than that. Their happiness extended further into their lives than if they just spent it on themselves. Kind of feels right, doesn't it? I don't remember the last time I bought myself a nice meal or a nice coffee or whatever. It's kind of it all blurs into nothing. But in tax time, which is right now, as I go through my taxes and I look at my donations to events that my friends are a part of, to people I'll never meet but are good causes, I think about those a lot more than the last coffee I bought myself. So as Kelty talks about donations, again, Friend Church needs your donations, but I think there's something here that's really beautiful. Because you're not just donating to Friend Church, you are, but it's more than that. A friend of mine said to me the other day, he's like, him and his partner were having an, an issue, and he's like, and Vince, I handled it beautifully. And just so you know, I never handle it beautifully. But you know what, Friends Church has taught me how to love my partner in a new way. And it's changing us. It's changing our relationship, which impacts how we parent our kids, which impacts their nervous systems. And suddenly, the donation that you gave is now changing someone's marriage. Someone you'll never meet. Your donation is impacting all kinds of people through the world. We're getting, as you look at the, the comments coming up on the, pay, or on the screen, there's people all over the place that your money is impacting. So you're getting that hit of happy that says, I donate to money through Friend Church, and it goes out to people I'll never meet, and I'm making their lives better. I'm getting them engaged in something spiritual that they've never had before, but they've been dying for. I'm helping them find community and a, and a way of being in this world that just makes everything better. As I was driving down the highway, it said, you know, it's got the signs that say, you know, usually how far to the next street, but now it says, stay two meters apart, blah, blah, blah. It's all these restrictions. But the last thing it says is smile. I thought, man, even that is something we can give away to somebody else to make their day better. Somebody who's scared, somebody who's frustrated, somebody who's, you know, has all kinds of stress in their life. Maybe we can just start there, smile. Give. I love what Alessandra said. Call a friend that you love that you haven't talked to in a while. Just say, I love you. I miss you. I care about you. All the way up through to Kelty saying, take some of your hard-earned money. And right now, it feels harder earned than ever. And donate it through something like Friend Church or another organization. And just look at how you can make the world around you better. The weird part about it is that it's going to make the world better, but it also makes your life better. But if you do it just to make your life better, sometimes it gets a little bit funky. But don't worry, we'll talk about that next week. But let me encourage you, dig deep right now, in whatever way you can, through whatever organization you can. I gotta say, ours is pretty good. It's a good one to do it with. But make the world around you better. It just takes a bit of intentionality. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Vince. Hey, um, once again, good morning. 
Um, I just want to start off this morning with a disclaimer on my message. You know, we have a very diverse community of people on very diverse and unique spiritual journeys. Um, but really, no matter how you skin it, they kind of, you all fall into kind of two categories, really. And that is one group of you... Um, grew up with religion. You grew up with some kind of faith background. You maybe were forced to go to church at a young age. Maybe you were born in kind of what felt like born in church. That's a lot my story. And uh, you got a lot of history, roots in, in a particular religious tradition. And then there's the other group of you who your family never went to church, perhaps. You never were raised with some kind of faith tradition, and so you found Friends Church looking for a spirituality, but you don't have a whole lot of history with any of this stuff. This morning, as I talk about stage three, I'm really specifically talking predominantly about the journeys of those of you who fall into the first category, those who do have religious experience, those who have history, Some of it's good, maybe some of it's not so good. And so for the other group of you, you might be listening this morning going, wow, I I don't really relate so much to this journey. Can I just say, that's okay. Um, Be thankful. (laughs) Maybe be thankful, maybe understand this. Chances are you know some people who will very much relate to what I'm about to say. Some of you are married to someone who falls into that category. Or you have close friends or family who are there. And even though it's not your story, what you will hear over the next little while is going to explain perhaps a lot about why some people that you know act the way they do when it comes to religion, church, and their own journey. So I'm going to encourage you to pay close attention along with all of you other ones, that this specifically might tell a little bit of your story too. Okay, let's jump in. Um, Last week, Vince talked about stage two spirituality. I don't know if you guys knew this, but I am kind of a poster child of stage two spirituality. I was a follower from a very early age. I didn't really have a choice. My family grew, uh, they're all religious, so I was born and raised in the church. Um, But despite the fact that I never was given really much of an option, I was about 12 years old when I really, something about it all really grabbed me. And it wasn't something my parents forced me to do. I, I can't even explain why but I just remember being taken in and buying in to the Christianity that my parents were a part of. Um, I embraced the beliefs that everyone was talking about. I read the Bible. I read the Bible without my parents forcing me to. Like, I still look back and I go, what the heck? Man, I prayed every day, sincerely, in ways, I I remember going to church on Sundays and and singing my lungs out. It was was meaningful to me. It moved me. And 
I mean, there were times in our tradition, the, the pastor would, would, at the end of his message, would say, is there anyone that wants to get right with God? That was kind of my tradition's experience. And they, they would say, I want every head bowed in the room. If you're here and you want to get right with God, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. My hand would go up. I wanted to be right with I didn't know all that was involved, but I wanted that. I, there was something inside me that was saying, I think there's something to all of this that might make my world, my life, everything, even my, my, my standing with God better. And, and whatever the thing is, whatever the truth is, I want it. So, so sign me up, sign me up, sign me up again and again and again. <laughs> and if I make mistakes, I, I was just bought in. I think down deep, I, want, I wanted to be sure that my life went okay. And I, I somehow believed that my Christian tradition was going to lead me in that way. For many years, living in a supercharged stage two environment where there were very clear guidelines and rules and expectations laid out for what the Christian life was supposed to look like, um, you know, some people found that really, really restrictive. I didn't. I, I gladly followed the rules. I, I did whatever they were telling me to do. The certainty of knowing that I believed the right way. <laughs> I, oh, man, that felt so good. I, I felt like I was one of the lucky ones because I was going to be one who would go to heaven one day. And I understood that many wouldn't be. But because I said the right prayer and I believed the right things, I had nothing to worry about. So I didn't worry. Oh, it was wonderful. It was a crazy positive experience for me, personally. For those of you who grew up or had a lot of religious experience in your past, perhaps part of your experience was like that in some way. Maybe you were one who, maybe, and I use this word carefully, but naively believed that there was some kind of formula that existed. Someone is holding the truth to life. If you just discover it, if you just figure out what that truth is, if you're one of the lucky ones to not only find the keys or the truth of it all, and then if you can follow them closely, everything in life would pretty much go well for you. If, you. if you had a season like that in your life, you know what I mean? Just the, the comfort, the security, the certainty of just knowing I'm on the right path. I don't have to second guess. I don't have to wonder or worry. I just got to believe. I just got to trust And maybe in that window, you found yourself praying, I mean, religiously, you wouldn't miss church. Maybe you read the Bible with this sense of, man, I know it's going to reveal something that's going to make sense of my world and my life. Not only that, maybe you found yourself going, man, I got to avoid some of these forbidden behaviors that they're talking about in church. I got to, I I, I can't step up beyond the the guardrails. I, I, I... I don't know, in, in, in my growing up, man, the big one was sex before marriage. Man, you just had to dodge that one. No matter what, life would go pretty good for you. That, that was kind of drinking, 
smoking, swearing. Oh yeah, you just got to steer clear of those things. And then pr- pretty much, you know, you're, you're on the right trail. As Vince explained last week, these guardrails were set up and they, were, they kind of provided some structure that's needed in that stage of our lives. You don't have to question, you don't have to tra- challenge. In stage two, you just rest in knowing you can trust these rules and they're going to lead you to something good. Stay within the guardrails. And if you can do that and, and, and everything is going right, the enthusiasm, the zeal, the excitement, the zealousness of windows of stage two can be amazing. Oh man, you just want to tell the world. You want to look at people who aren't doing what you're doing and you want to tell them there's a better way here. It's like Pleasantville. I don't know if you've ever heard of that movie. If you saw that, this dating me. I, I found out, I heard that, I was looking it up. This is from the seven, no, it's from the 90s, 97. I was like, holy crap, that was a long time ago. What? It was coming out right around the time that Friends Church was launching, actually. I don't know if you've seen this, but it centers around kind of a 50s, 1950s sitcom, kind of a leave it to beaver type of environment, where it's just like all is well in this little village of Pleasantville. There are strict rules. Everyone has to kind of abide by a way of living in the village. But the people of Pleasantville don't mind. They're happy to just blindly follow what they've been told. There's no need to read books or wrestle with deeper understanding. All, life, all of life is wrapped up in what you see in Pleasantville. There's no need to even leave in the village. And within Pleasantville, there's no tragedy. There's no crisis. Like, there's not even any fires. The firemen, yeah, they, they don't even fight fire. They don't even know what fire looks like. They just rescue cats out of trees. That's all they do. Life is like this utopian bubble in, in Pleasantville. Just follow the rules and everything works out fine. I think there is a season within stage two. We go looking for Pleasantville putting our trust, blind trust sometimes, in a system, an organization, a leader, a person, a family member, in hopes that, man, if we just follow what they say, it's going to be good. This was my existence for the most part of my life. I lived in kind of a Pleasantville environment. Everyone believing and trusting similar things. When we began Friends Church, like a long time ago, we kind of said, we didn't even realize we're in Pleasantville, but we wanted to reach out to people beyond the walls of our church. We said, there's people that need to understand what life can be like within our village. What we weren't prepared for, though, is when you begin talking with people who sit outside of Pleasantville, they ask questions no one's asking in Pleasantville. They talk about things. They wrestle with complexities that within my stage two world, uh, that was never part of the conversation. I remember one night, I was, we, we started a small group of people, some that were from religious, traditional upbringings, and then, and then some that weren't. So both categories. We're in this group. 
And one night we're sitting around talking and I, I knew everyone fairly well in the group, but one guy, he begins opening up. He says, I would consider myself half Christian and half Hindu. I was raised Hindu with my family, but now I'm, I'm attending Friends Church. So I'm kind of half Christian, half Hindu. Someone in the group freaks out, goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you can't do that. You, you, can't, you can't be one or the other, man. You can't serve two masters. They had all these. And, and, and so this kind of this argument erupts. And he, he's saying, what do you mean I can't be both? I am both. He's going, no, no, if you aren't full on Christian, you aren't going to heaven. You're going to hell. And I, I was like, ho, 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 just hang on here. What? Wait, what? And he's looking at me and he's going, is this right, Jeff? Am I going to hell because I'm not 100% Christian or like I kind of buy into this? He's like, okay, fine. If that's the way it is, okay, I'm 100% Christian. I'll let go. <laughs> I'll let go of my Hindu stuff. But what about my parents? My parents are 100% Hindu. And this other guy in the group says, oh, they're going to hell. And, and he's going, wait a second. They are, the, they are the most loving, most spiritual people. He says, I love you guys, but I got to tell you something. My parents are more spiritual than all of you. So this whole conversation is going on. And I'm just, now, prior to this, living in Pleasantville, when I never had, I, I could easily just say Christians are going to heaven. I, I never wrestled with that. But in this moment, up close, looking at this person I love, I knew his parents too. I knew who he was talking about. I knew what he was saying was true. I'm going, oh no. Something in me that night broke. Something about the answer the typical answer I was given that I given for years didn't make sense to me. I put on a brave face and I said, guys, let's call a timeout on this. I don't know. I don't know how to really answer all this stuff. But man, I was shaking. I didn't sleep at all that night. That was the start of stage three for me. There's a couple who I know well. They were raised in Christianity much like me. They spent their lives devoted. He went on to be a pastor in a, in a very traditional church. The most beautiful people. And if I could describe someone who just played it by the rules, never any scandal, never any black marks, this guy was like just this pillar in his community. And one day his daughter announced to him, and she said, I'm gay, Dad. Well, that shattered their Pleasantville world, shattered it. You see, in that stage two world that they were a part of, homosexuality was a very evil thing. They, like you couldn't be a Christian and be gay. It was, a, it was a, an abomination. I mean, they used words that were just so villainizing of the entire 
gay population. I remember sitting down over coffee with this guy. He began telling the story again. He said, I remember in that moment just asking, like, are we just supposed to reject our daughter? Like, what's the right answer here? I love my daughter more than life. Does this mean that she's no longer welcome in this church? Like, she can't come around? Is that what this means? Will loving her mean that I'm supporting something evil? Will loving my own flesh and blood and, 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 and keeping her close and supporting her, will that mean that I'm pissing God off? Oh man, as he told the story, I am just, oh, I'm just wrestling with him. In a moment, everything that they believed, everything that was so clean and clear and black and white and certain just got messed up. All of their beliefs that once made so much sense was just so tidy, needed to be reevaluated. Everything got thrown under the microscope. You see, this process of reevaluating, challenging, questioning beliefs, questioning what you've been taught all your life, this is what stage three is really all about. And normally for most, to step from stage two into stage three, life has to be pretty bad. Just warning you right now. You don't just go hopping and skipping into stage three. It's much different than your entrance into stage two where there's this family that comes in and says, hey, let me show you how this works and let me just give you some guidelines and and this is all gonna work out great. No, 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 the entrance into stage three is almost like the opposite. One's world almost has to get thrown upside down. Someone comes out of the closet. A marriage ends in divorce. A really good person or worse yet, a a young child gets sick and sometimes even dies. Sometimes a very strong scientific argument gets laid down in front of you and just dismantles what you thought was a bulletproof belief that could never be challenged. And just it just starts to crumble in front of you. In my, in my case, someone just had to ask a very troubling question. So are my parents going to hell? When these things happen, there's a rupture in Pleasantville. There's a breach and everything being right. The blind trust you had in the system gets broken. And you start saying, hey, wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. What, what, what is happening? And when that happens, 
Welcome to stage three. This can feel like the most scary thing. There is confusion. Oh, confusion galore in this season. You start asking questions like, did I do something wrong? Like, is this happening because I haven't been listening to God? Have I taken a wrong turn and God's upset with me? I, I thought if I followed all the rules, everything was supposed to work out okay. People weren't, people, good people aren't supposed to get sick. I prayed. I had everyone praying, and I, that still happened. Some will ask, am I losing my faith right now? For some, it's, it's, there's that fear of the uncertainty. What if we've been believing all the, like, Everything that we've been believing, someone just made it up. What if this is, what if it's just manufactured? What if, what if we're wrong and the Hindus are right? Oh man, the uncertainty, the confusion is crazy. But then there's also the fear of, of like social consequences. Like, what, what will happen when Pleasantville hears that I'm even asking these questions or unsure? I remember I've told this story driving back from Whitefish on an annual golf trip I used to do with my dad. I, I was in the throes of stage three, wrestling and wrestling. My dad and I, we've, we've had a close, close relationship. We talked about any, everything. Our spiritual journeys were, were very closely aligned because we believed all the, right, all the same things. But then I started to question some stuff. And I remember it was like I was, felt so guilty for holding this secret and I hadn't said anything about it the whole trip. We're driving back. I'd never talked about any of this stuff with it, like hardly anyone except some of the, the team here at France. And I got into it with that. I was so freaked out that it would freak him out. And I was right. <laughs> like, dad wasn't verbally angry. He shut down. But internally, he was freaking out. It's like my son is losing his faith. He's questioning things that should never be questioned, ever. For some, the fear of losing relationships because of your shifting beliefs can be so great that though you are struggling with things that you've been taught, there will be some who get to this point and they'll turn right around and head right back to stage two. They'll deal, they'll settle with the cognitive dissonance that they're feeling because they don't want to lose their relationships. They don't want anything to change in Pleasantville. They make the willful decision to say, I can't figure out what to do with all these things, but I need you to love me. And so I'm not going to bring this up again. 
Oh, and the shame. Oh, my gosh. I remember there were some Sundays I'd, I'd open up with some people. I'd tell them kind of what I was going on. Oh, even my dad, he would write me an email and he'd say, Jeff, what the heck? You, and, and, and think about the impact you're going to have on other people. Think about your sisters. Think about your family. Think about your kids. Oh, man. In my head, I'm, I'm worried. I'm going, Jarvis, are you going to screw this up for a lot of people? Get your act together. Come on, just believe. Just quit questioning. You can see why entering stage three doesn't have the allure and the excitement of stage two. It's, it's tough. You just wish. You could just shove all the mess back into the box. You wish you could just put a lid on it and pretend you never saw what you saw. You didn't think about some of those things. But for most of us, we realize it's too late. You can't unknow what you know. You can't unsee what you've seen. The naivety the blind faith, the trust, the security. Something got wrecked. As you enter stage three, if you don't run back, if you don't deny some of the things that you're seeing or wrestling with, if you don't ignore the cognitive dissonance that you're feeling, if you actually just kind of lean into it, you'll consciously, or not, you'll begin to reevaluate your entire religious system. And this looks different for every person. The things that you go, wait a second, some things are going to be different than other people in stage three. There's some big things in your religious system that you'll go, wait, 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 wait. I'm not sure about this anymore. Someone else is going, nah, I don't mind about that. It's this over here for me. For me, I had grown up reading the Bible in a very literal way. What it's saying is not only true, but it actually happened. There was parts of my growing understanding that was becoming very problematic with that. This idea that Christianity is the one and only true religion, that those who are lucky enough to find it, those who are lucky enough to say a particular prayer or believe certain tenets of faith would be the ones who would one day have this amazing experience with God. But everyone else, everyone who, who grew up on another part of the world, who weren't introduced to Christianity as we understood it, uh, they're kind of out of luck. That, well, that sat sideways for me. This idea of drinking and smoking, swearing, and some of these other behaviors that they would be capable of, you know, kind of upsetting God, where God would be pissed off at you. Yeah, something didn't seem right about that either. I found myself asking again and again, who told me this was true? Where, where does it say that? Can anyone prove that? 
In stage three, you get really clear on the differences between what is fact and what is belief. In stage three, you can find yourself craving just empirical evidence. Just, no, no, no. Uh, uh, okay, okay, that's fine that you believe that. That's fine, that's, that's your opinion, yeah. But, but let's talk fact. What can you prove? This is, this is stage three language, man. I just want some substance. I don't want someone coming up and going, oh, I just found out that's an urban legend. Yeah, no, no, I, I, don't need, I don't need to have anyone come on and throw my sacred beliefs that I'm holding on to kind of up into the wind and saying, oh yeah, no, that's baloney. No, 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 no. And when you get to stage three, you're going, uh, I am not going to buy into anything unless I can really find something that's tangibly, obviously provable. Which is why philosophies like agnosticism and atheism are common places to run when you hit stage three. When one can be free from the confines of religious dogma. To have the freedom to be able to say, you know what? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. And be okay. Go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, I'm not sure about that. I don't think you are either. Oh, it's incredibly freeing to be able to look at someone and say, man, you know what? I don't think that makes sense to me anymore. Or just straight up, I no longer believe that. No angry, no defensiveness, just, yeah, no, I don't believe that anymore. Oh, stage three can give you that freedom to be able to just admit where you sit in a very real way and not have to hold the party line. It's like an emancipation for those who have been struggling to reconcile their beliefs with what they're actually experiencing in real life. I I can't tell you how encouraging, how relieving it was to be reminded that Jesus seemed quite comfortable with the uncertainty with the skepticism of this stage three world. In fact, the more I look at his, read his stories, the more I seem to think that he was encouraging it. He was always challenging and questioning the rules, the beliefs and practices of his day. I mean, he would, he would challenge spiritual rules. Oh, left, right, and center. You shall never eat the holy bread in the temple. Hey, boys, you hungry? Have at it. Here's a big loaf. Let's go. People freaking out. You shall never work on the Sabbath. There's Jesus. He heals someone on the Sabbath. People freaking out. Ah, you can't do that. That's technically work. You can't eat with those people. They're not religious people. He's like, hey, Matthew, what do you say we throw a party tonight? Bring your buddies. He was like continually upturning, turning over the religious dogma of his day, going, no, 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 no. Now, there's something about that that doesn't make sense to me. Healing, touching the lepers. Like every one of these purity rules. He's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about that. And then his teaching style. 
the number of times he would finish teaching and people would be sitting there scratching their heads going, was he, like that character in that story, was he actually referring to me? Was it, uh, just wait a second. Is he saying it's us who have the problem? Oh, the amount of cognitive dissonance he would leave his crowds in after finishing teaching, they'd be sitting there scratching their head going, I'm not sure what I believe right now. Jesus would say, hey, it's been nice knowing you guys. I'll see you next week. Loved, it seemed, getting people into the deep end, wrestling, questioning, challenging, thinking deeply about why they do what they do, why they believe what they believe. The more I read of the life and teachings of Jesus, I think the more he understood that to question and to challenge the rules and prescribed black and white clean lines of religion, it wasn't moving backward. It wasn't backsliding as they referred to it in my tradition. You weren't moving back into stage one. It wasn't a digression. Actually, It was adulting. It was growing up. It was maturing. You were wrestling with more and more real complexities of life. Getting comfortable with uncertainty and not knowing. Finding a way to live that wasn't so fragile. You didn't need everything in life to just work out perfectly in order for you to be able to prescribe to your faith. No, actually, you became almost what they call anti-fragile, resilient. You wrestled with some of the complexities of life, and when life actually happened, when someone came out of the closet, when there was a tragedy, when there was stuff that went down that you didn't expect, you were able to look at it in a mature and adult way and go, whew, this is hard, but this is life. But before you get too excited about stage three and go, well, it's the answer to everything. Just like stage one and stage two, there is a ditch in stage three as well. I could tell you another one of my stories you're sick of hearing about me. So I'll tell you about Bill. It's not his real name. But he was a guy that started attending Friends Church years ago. He was right in the throes of stage three when he started attending And right from the get-go, it was like one of our first conversations. He just was straight up. His wife dragged him out. I know she did. But he just looked at me. He said, I don't think I can believe much of anything that you guys believe. I said, well, this is your first time here? (laughs) I don't think you even know what we believe around here. And he's like, I'll tell you right now. And right then, he started going into his problems with the Bible. His problems with judgmental Christians. And you, you know, people that believe in this, like he just started going through his laundry list of all the problems he has with Christianity. I said, yeah, 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 get it. Loved to talk about problematic Christian beliefs. He loved to poke fun at people who were gullible enough to believe what they believed. Over the years of knowing Bill, 
I observed that his jadedness, his skepticism, his strong reaction to people's beliefs, along with his heavy need for scientific and empirical evidence, it almost closed him off. It almost made him narrow-minded. The very thing he was complaining about some of the other people he had grown up with in his stage two world. He said, they're so judgmental, and I'm looking at him going, really? Hmm. He was like a wet blanket. Anytime he would be at one of our gatherings, a party, whatever, someone almost inevitably would come along, say something unsuspecting, make a statement about their own religious belief. You know, they'd talk about God, you know, in a very kind of matter of fact way. And I looked over at Bill going, oh, oh, here we go. And sure enough, the defensive nature comes out. And he says, really? I remember when I used to believe that. And all of a sudden, he would go into this defensive tirade. And that person would begin cowering. People out of embarrassment started turning away. Wanting out of the conversation. They learned, avoid that guy. Avoid talking religion with that guy. They say that people who are unable to accept even the limitations of science, empirical evidence, in stage three may lose their spirituality altogether. They'll just walk away from it entirely. If one can't accept that perhaps there is more than even you understand, a humility in the questioning and the not knowing, if you're not able to just kind of go, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm there anymore, but I'm still wrestling with what is, what is more. What? If you can't get there, something begins to close off. And people who get caught in that ditch, they end up just stepping back and building their own dogma that cannot be challenged by anyone. Otherwise, the teeth come out. If you get into stage three and you start questioning, if you can, if you can stay in the state of openness, questioning, a humility, it will then lead you to a transition into another stage. There's something more waiting. In fact, next week we begin talking about stage four. We're going to spend a couple weeks talking about what lies beyond the stage three skeptical stage. This morning, if as I've been speaking, you've been able to identify yourself as being in stage three, I would, I would encourage you to be courageous. I'd encourage you to be courageous in a couple ways. One would be to, to, to be courageous enough to explore beyond the guardrails of what you were given at one point in your life and trust that you're okay. It's okay to question. To think deeply and to wrestle with your beliefs that perhaps you inherited from somewhere. 
It's okay. Shoot, just the fact that you're showing up at the spiritual gym here shows me there is a level of courage that you have to wrestle with some stuff. Maybe I've said some stuff this morning where you're going, oh, what? You wrestle. It's okay. That kind of that uneasy feeling, it's all right. Be courageous in dealing with some of the inevitable hurts and understandings that may happen between you and perhaps family, friends, community that you were once a part of, who maybe now are looking at you asking the wrong questions and they're not happy. Be courageous to look through their lenses and to not take some of the things that they're saying personally. I wish, I wish someone told me that on that trip back from Whitefish or prior to that. Someone, so I wish someone had said, Jeff, your dad ain't going to take this easily. He ain't going to like it. And he's likely going to say some things out of f- like fear and worry and anxiety that are going to cut you. But don't be worried about that. He is freaked out. And that's normal. But he loves you. Just trust that. And, and don't think that you have to shove everything that you're doing in his face. Shh. Be courageous in how you approach those people, the community that you maybe once were a part of. And the last thing I would say is be courageous about being opening, open to something more. You might be in the, in the part of your journey where you're trying to close off. You're going, no, 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 no. That prayer thing. Oh, that song that they sang. Yeah, I don't believe that anymore. Yeah. You know what? Would you be courageous enough to just keep open? Just stay open. Because what lies beyond this stage three is something so beautiful if you can get there. All right, that's all I got. I really pray that you will embody courage this week in the way that you face uncertainty, life that isn't going the right way that you thought it would or should. I pray that you'll be courageous in the way that you're treating other people who think differently than you or who believe the way you maybe once did. Maybe you're here, you're listening, and you're part of that other group that I talked about initially. I pray that you'll be courageous in dealing with perhaps your spouse or someone you're close to who is in the throes of stage two and you don't get it. I just pray that you would be open and and sensitive and compassionate to someone who's in the midst of all this storm. May we wrestle and may we come to a place where we are resilient. That's my prayer for you. Have a great week, everyone. Get out there and wrestle a little bit. We'll see you next week for stage four. Hey, oh, by the way, um, discussion group. We're holding one at noon today. So if you'd like to be a part of this, maybe I ruffled some feathers, maybe you're upset. Hey, come and chat with me. Love to chat with you. You can click on the link on the discussion group uh, in our events calendar and on our app. You'll find us there. It's a Zoom link. See you soon.